If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Grounded to third! Donaldson has it! That's my boy Ryan Rucco on call at the Yes Network, calling the final out of Domingo Herman's perfect game from earlier this week. Wednesday to be specific, the only perfect game that I personally was very fortunate to actually be able to comprehend, considering I was alive for Wells and Cone's perfect game, so it was only like 1-2, and two, far too young, but what a week it was, mainly surrounded by this historic game that will be both in the Yankees and baseball overalls, history books, What's going on, my fellow Yankee fans? And welcome to episode 187 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on July 2nd, 2023. It is another new month, as we are now just past the halfway point of the season. We don't have to talk about how fast it goes because we talk about it just about every week. does not matter that the baseball season is 162 games. It still goes by as quickly as any other season in sports. It just does not matter. It's amazing that we're already over halfway through. And since last week, what has changed? Well, a lot has happened as of this past week. As far as what the results of the games are, as far as winning and losing and how they've continued to do... Since Aaron Judge has gotten hurt, well, it's just about the same. And that's where the episode title comes in because ever since we spoke last week when we were talking about the ultimate test, which of course is the test of how the Yankees are to do without their captain, who's also considered, in my opinion, to be the very heartbeat of this team, in that sense, win some, lose some, because that's what happened this past week. They're basically at the same point as they were the last week when we spoke last Sunday, Because after last Sunday's win, and a very nice series win against the Rangers at that as well, before they hit the road and head to the West Coast, they were 7-10 since they lost Judge. And now, ever since they won three and lost three in this latest road trip that just concluded just a few minutes ago at the time I'm taping now, the Yankees and Cardinals game just ended a few minutes ago. Three wins and three losses, so they're basically exactly where they were when we spoke last Sunday, still three games under 500 when it comes to how they've done since they've lost Judge. So, I guess still not a very good team, although they do have a couple of offensive explosions this past week to hang their hats on. And of course, <laughs> the one in the middle of it all, the perfect freaking game. You don't want to ignore those things. But you also have the inconsistencies of the offense returning, i.e. in today's game, where they only had three hits, yet again another tie of the season low for hits in a game. Jordan Montgomery, former Yankee, Yankees faced him today, absolutely carved this lineup up in every way that he possibly could. So, you have some offensive inconsistencies still, mostly just not coming through the vast majority of the time. 
you have a perfect game, some wins, some losses, so it's kind of like a blah week. It would definitely be a blah week if not for the perfect game. Kind of just be coming on here saying, yeah, the Yankees lost some games, they won some games, the offense exploded a couple of times, it went dead a couple of times, and ultimately we're just about where we were last week, <laughs> give or take, overall, except for the perfect game, of course. And I want to talk about that for a second, because obviously that's where a lot of the talk comes from this past week. Obviously, it's by far the biggest thing that has happened. It's the first perfect game in a while, not just in Yankees history, but in baseball. We haven't seen a perfect game in 11 years since there were three perfect games in one year in 2012. And then we haven't had a single one until Domingo's on Wednesday. Now, a lot of people are quick to talk about, of course, Domingo Herman's past and, and oh, it couldn't have been anybody else. It had to be Domingo Herman. <laughs> Listen, I get where people are coming from, I guess. I'm not Domingo's biggest fan on a personal level. I just... I have a fundamental issue with people who do what he did, obviously talking about the domestic violence. But, you know, he served a suspension. And I've said this before. I'm not a big fan of his personally. That won't really change. But I also do believe that someone can change. I've always believed that. And as far as we know, he's served his suspension. Well, we saw him face a suspension. That's not as far as we know. He factually did. But in the as far as we know realm, he apparently got a great deal of help, I imagine, in the therapy field. And the Yankees probably played a part in that because they made it vocal that they didn't want to just give up on him right away. So as far as we know, he got a lot of the help that he needed. And he has really tried to turn his life around in every way. His spouse has forgiven him. So at that point, even if you want to remember what he did, if you don't want to forget it, you know, especially when the spouse forgives, it's like, all right, I guess... It's time to move on, you know? And plus, there are a lot of people who are just opportunistic people. When something big happens to someone who did something crappy in the past, they just use it as an opportunity to bring it up. I mean, if you're really that much of an advocate, you really should be on the front lines and actually doing something to help in that realm, other than just taking opportunities for when something good happens for that person just to bring it up, just for the hell of it. I mean, that's I think that's kind of crappy to do, but... I mean, listen, as far as I'm concerned... I, even if you're not a big fan of Domingo Hermans, and I'm not the biggest fan of him on a personal level, obviously, but I also have the ability to separate the accomplishment from the person, or even if you want to put it this way, the art from the artist, if you will. And I have the ability to do that. And I took it as, you know, a great day. I finally got to see a Yankee perfect game. A couple of years ago, we got to see in May of 2021... Corey Kluber pitching a no-hitter in Texas, that was also fantastic. That was the first Yankee no-hitter I got to see. And now I got to see my first Yankee perfect game, which was pretty freaking epic. Herman pitched a masterclass of a game. Pitch count was at 99 at the end of the game after nine innings, which is unbelievable. He did have a really good amount of strikeouts as well, but he was also very economic, just getting a lot of outs on contact, a lot of short at-bats couple of nice plays made in the field, especially the one down the line at first base by Rizzo. And that's the thing, too. When it comes to a perfect game, you can't only concentrate on the pitcher and how terrific a job they did, because it's also an entire team effort. The team can't make an error. No walk can be given up. I mean, nothing at all can happen. Perfect game is just that. Perfection. Nothing on the entire team, not just on the pitcher, can go wrong. And that's why I say regardless of who did it, a perfect game 
still needs to be acknowledged as something absolutely unbelievable, regardless of circumstance, opponent, I don't care. A lot of other people trying to downplay it as well, not only because of what Domingo did in his personal life, but also saying, oh, it was against the A's, or he also cheated, and, well, first of all, listen, whether you want to believe the guy or believe the Yankees or not is irrelevant. That's up to you. But they continue to say that when he was ejected out of the game and... and some people might even say targeted for this farm substance thing. Can you supply proof that it was anything beyond rosin? I mean, I even said that. Because they say it was rosin. Just a matter that it might have been too much, or maybe it was sweat with rosin that made it really sticky, and it just got him thrown out. And he wasn't the only guy that was a victim of this, that went basically all the way to the end saying it was just rosin. Max Scherzer, another great first ballot Hall of Famer, was also a victim of this, still will probably tell you today, no, I was just using rosin that day. And you can't go by the umpires, because the umpires, after every single time they came across this instance, said, oh, that was the stickiest hand I ever felt. They said that basically after every single instance, so you can't really trust the umpire's judgment. I mean, let alone in general, just umpire's judgments in general. But, he would not be the only guy, Herman meaning, to be a victim of this sort of thing, where they really just stick to their original statements and saying that I was just using rosin. And if he was using too much, well, yeah, then that's really a Major League Baseball issue at that point, because again, he wouldn't be the only one that's been a victim of this. Major League Baseball kind of has to come out and say where the line is, what's not enough, what's just right, what's too much. And if anybody out here can't prove that it was something more than rosin that he was using, then, well, the cheating thing is kind of useless to mention. Because, again, I guess if you want to call him a cheater, then I guess Max Scherzer is a cheater, too. And I don't think Max Scherzer is a cheater. Two very different people, of course, yeah, on a personal level, but we're just talking about on the field right now. So you have two guys on the field who said, I only used rosin. But they were still ejected for it, and that's the deal. I don't think it's that ridiculous to say that both of them were using just rosin and that the umpires thought it was something else. So I don't really think the cheating thing is really relevant to mention. You want to mention the personal life, whatever. Still not on the field, though. On the field, even if it, if you want to say, oh, it was just the A's as well. Yeah, the A's have significantly less hitting talent than other big teams in baseball like the Braves or the Rays or the Orioles or any other massive team out there, the Diamondbacks, who were in first place as well. You have the Rangers' top offense in baseball. So, yeah, they're not any of these big, humongous teams, yeah. But still, even against the worst of teams, perfect games are still infinitely impressive. If they were so easy, then why hasn't anyone else done it? In the last 11 years, how many putrid offenses, yet great pitchers, have there been in baseball? Yet even the best of pitchers didn't perfect game any of the putrid teams in the last 11 years, since a perfect game was seen 11 years ago in 2012. Perfect games are as rare as they are for a reason, and they should not be downplayed in any sort of a way. And don't let anybody try to downplay them to you in any sort of a way. I even took to Twitter and said something like this as well, and it got a lot of attention because it's the truth. Don't let anybody try to downplay any sort of perfect game whatsoever. If you don't want to celebrate Domingo Herman on a personal level because of what he did in the past, and you don't believe in redemption or whatever your reason may be, or you just fundamentally have a problem with what he did, fine. <laughs> I don't care. You can do whatever you want. 
I'm not saying I necessarily liked what Herman did in his personal life. As a matter of fact, I hate it. Anybody with a decent bone in their body should hate it. But I also do believe that a person can change. And I also have that ability, like I said before, to separate, per se, the art from the artist. And I was overjoyed to see a Yankee perfect game. Overjoyed. Because again, David Cohn and David Wells did happen while I was alive, but I was like one and two years old. Far too young to comprehend or even give a crap or anything like that. (laughs) No way I could have even remotely understood what just happened. But now in the last three years, I've gotten a no-hitter and a perfect game. It's pretty freaking awesome. Every perfect game that has happened for the Yankees so far, I, I believe since like the 50s, it was Don Larson, David Cohn, David Wells, and now you have Domingo Herman. This fun fact was said on social media too. They all start with the letter D. <laughs> it's funny. And then you also have the no-hitters. I mean, Corey Kluber kind of breaks that stretch. Nice job, Corey. But you also have in, in the 80s, you had Dave Rigetti. You had Jim Abbott as well in the early 90s. I guess he breaks that string of the first name starting with the letter D streak as well. But still, yeah, a lot of first names starting with the letter D. It's pretty funny, especially with the perfect games in particular. But in my lifetime, as far as ones that I got to witness and comprehend and enjoy, Corey Kluber, no-hitter two years ago, and Domingo Herman, perfect game right now. Again, very economical. A lot of strikeouts still. He was in control the entire time. I really started to pay attention around like the seventh inning. That's usually when I start to get a bit excited. Usually like going, if it's like the middle of the seventh inning and it's still going on, I'm like, okay, you got my attention. (laughs) But like before that, I try not to get too overjoyed. Like after the fourth or fifth, I was like, all right, it's, it's a perfect game so far, but still only about halfway through. Plenty outs to get. When you're about halfway through the seventh, you catch my attention. And then when it's still in the eighth, I start to get real excited, and then by the ninth, I'm just, like, shaking. <laughs> That's usually what happens. So, the ninth inning, I was shaking the entire time. And even when, like, Ruiz hit the ball hard on the ground in Donaldson's direction, and Donaldson fielded, I was like, oh, my God. If Donaldson, imagine he makes an error to ruin the perfect game. Oh, my God. But he fielded it cleanly, threw it to first, as you just heard in that clip at the beginning. I really wanted to include that in today's show. And perfect game. First time since the late 90s. Pretty freaking epic. And yeah, if you had to choose somebody else to do it, yeah, you'd probably rather someone like Garrett Cole or even someone like Nestor. You know, somebody else in the rotation. You know, sure. But it's a perfect game, guys. It cannot be downplayed. There's a reason, again, why it happens as rarely as it does. And now, whether you like it or not, Domingo Herman's name is going to be etched into baseball and Yankee history forever. Even if he manages to accomplish nothing else special here for the rest of his baseball career, he's in history forever as the 24th perfect game in Major League Baseball history. And that also is another credit to how rare this accomplishment is and how how elite of an accomplishment is amongst the most elite in all of baseball. Because baseball's been around for well over a hundred years, and this has only happened now for the 24th time. So, again, this these are just many reasons that I threw at you why you cannot downplay a perfect game. Congrats to Herman, the Yankees, whether or not this contributes in them turning around is another story, 
But regardless, a remarkable accomplishment nonetheless. One for the history books for the rest of time. And it's just absolutely unbelievable. Even days later, four days later, I still cannot believe that I have witnessed a perfect game. Now, every time the Yankees have pitched a perfect game, they've won the World Series. I personally have said that even though it's obviously not a guarantee anything could happen, I do not believe the Yankees are going to win the World Series this year. I have been pretty vocal about that. Even if they do end up making the playoffs, maybe they make it past the first or the second round, it's probably going to be a wild card this year, so if they make it past the three-game series and they make maybe make it past the DS, even if they make it past the CS and somehow go to the World Series, I, I do not see them finishing the job. I do not see them winning the World Series this year. But if they happen to, and I end up gladly, I want to say, gladly being wrong about that, <laughs> then that streak would continue. Every single time a Yankee pitcher throws a perfect game, they win the World Series. Happened with Larson in 56 in the World Series, and it happened in 98 and 99. David Wells and David Cohn, respectively. So we'll see if that can continue now. There's only one more step to it. Perfect game is done. Now they got to win the World Series. <laughs> and best of luck with that, because like I said before, and we'll continue to talk about Domingo Herman's perfect game a little bit later on when we get to weekly recap, of course, and we go over the game itself, but... Speaking of the team and their chances to win the World Series, I'd still say they aren't great. Yeah, they had the amazing, unspeakable moment of having the perfect game in the middle of the week on Wednesday. But other than that, you look at the rest of the week, especially outside of the couple of offensive explosions, you're about where you were last week. That's really where we're at, and you still have some people in this lineup whose performances are just downright unacceptable. Last week, to start the show, I basically went in on every single player on the team, more or less, and spoke about how they've done lately and called them out if they had to be called out, whether I like them a lot personally or not, because that's what has to be done if you're going to create content for a team in sports, regardless of your personal feelings towards one of the players, you have got to be objective if you are to be respected or to even really be truly knowledgeable. You have to look beyond emotion and you have to look at logic, at reason, at statistics, at facts. This is what you must do, guys. You have to do it. And we'll do it again now if we want. I'll just brush through the names real quick up and down the lineup. You got DJ, he's been back to leading off the last few days. Unacceptable. Unacceptable still. He was finding his swing a little bit there. He has his points of decent contact, but he's still on the whole just not been good. The, the batting average just continues to plummet. Still a well below average hitter this year. He's, it's just inexcusable. Now, in today's game, he was the victim of a brutal strike call, in fairness to him, just so I can't be accused of being unfair. I will say that he had a walk taken away from him today, or at least what should have been a walk, on a 3-1 pitch that was probably up to the letters or even maybe even closer to his chin in height. And he just got that walk taken away from him, and then he would later pop out 
to end the at-bat. So today he got a bit screwed by the umpire, to say the least. Dan Merzel, the home plate umpire, who would end up throwing out Aaron Boone after this because of how horrendous the call was. So in fairness to DJ, he did get a walk taken away from him today, but it's no excuse for his overall abysmal gameplay. And the thoughts continue to fly. Is he hurt? Does he still have something wrong? With his toe from last year, is it something entirely different? Is he just aging? Which I really... The aging one... I find... I find it very difficult to truly stick by that and really believe that that is the reason. Even even if it's just a reason, but the reason... It's just hard to believe that someone would decline that sharply. Yes, 2022... At least in the times that he played because he missed a lot of time with the toe problem. And in 2021... He wasn't the player that he was in 2019 and 2020 especially. But he was also nowhere near this bad. Nowhere near this bad. And I just find it really hard to believe that just age alone and the natural decline could result in this massive of a difference from one year to the next. It's just very hard for me to imagine. I would rather... I lean more towards the he could be hurt crowd because, again, with that aging thing, it's just too extreme to believe that it's just aging and natural declining from one year to the next. I don't think it would be this extreme if it were that because this has... It's far surpassed the point of unacceptable from DJ LeMahieu. I'm sure he'd be the first one to tell you that, but his performance is just painful to watch. He'll still get a hit every now and again. He'll have decent contact. Every once in a blue moon. But the production on the whole, completely and utterly unacceptable. Glaber, he's okay right now. The mental mistakes are still there, whether they be on defense or on the base paths. And then you have the at-bats that turn out to be really ugly at times. But, and then he comes through sometimes offensively. But, otherwise, it's really... He's just kind of there right now. He's not doing an absolutely horrendous job offensively, but he's not nothing to write home about lately either. Stanton, he had a bit of a resurgence offensively in Oakland. And yeah, he, he really cracked a couple of them really good today, even though he didn't get any results from it, unfortunately. And he did have a walk. But on the whole, still no good out of Stanton. Still no good. You're going to need a lot more. You're going to need a lot more out of him. Yeah, again, he did have some hit against, hits against the A's, and yeah, it's, it's better than nothing. But it's also the Oakland A's. <laughs> so you need him to start coming through against all others who are half-respectable teams, unlike the A's, and in big spots because Stanton has also really costed this team a lot of runs in a lot of big offensive moments, in a lot of timely spots in the last couple of weeks. So he's got to continue to get better. Bader, he's doing fine. I mean, he took an 0 for 4 today, so not great there, but... Otherwise, I mean, he's not the problem. Not at all. He's not a problem. IKF continues to do pretty well in his utility role, man. He's 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 getting it done. Gotta tell you, it's been fun with him. If there's been anyone to make me eat my words other than maybe Clark Schmidt his last seven times out there, uh, IKF is one of them. He's been... He's been pretty freaking solid, especially at the plate. He's He's come through very nicely in his utility role, doing whatever they ask of him, going wherever they want him to go. And yeah, he does make his defensive mistakes every once in a while when it comes to being in the outfield because he's not an outfielder. I more so blame the organization for that, for not having actual outfielders. But anyway, especially at the plate, 
When needed, IKF has for the most part been very reliable in that utility role. Anthony Volpe, who may or may not be the center of the Yapping Yankees social media segment later on. May or may not be, wink, wink. He has been a lot better. And we were talking about last year about how he's resurged a bit since he adjusted his batting stance, but, you know, he still had more work to do. This past week, he did that more work to do, and he still is. I mean, today he, he was one of just three guys to even have a hit. His batting average is raised all the way up to 221, and a lot of people might be saying, Mike, it's only 221. What the hell are you talking about? Well, considering it was around 191 at one point, I'd say this is a vast improvement. <laughs> Every journey starts with a single step, my friends. And he's had a lot of steps, especially this past week. Granted, they played a couple of bad teams, especially the A's. Doesn't matter, though. The kid is still in the major leagues trying to figure out day after day. His defense has always still been there. It's the main reason why I've just refused to give up on him. And I've said it week after week after week after week, and I've been called nuts for it. You can even listen to last week's episode if you want, if you want to listen to the most recent piece of content out of me. Even last week, I said, I have still not run out of patience with this kid. Still haven't. I was acknowledging he still had a lot more work to do, but I was not giving up on him. And now it finally seems like that might be starting to pay off a bit. Because coming into today, since June 13th, and I suppose the stats haven't changed too much because, again, he was one for three today, so he had another hit to add on to that today. His batting average was 373. Whenever he gets on base, he had been back to stealing bases again, which at one point I even mentioned I was concerned about because even when the strikeouts were up and the walks were down and he wasn't getting on base often, when he did get on base, the stolen bases kind of plateaued. That's returned a bit, so that's good to see. Got to get back to the aspects of the game that made him so exciting at the very beginning. So, but he has been so much better. Putting the bat on the ball, covering a lot more of the strike zone, not flailing as much, getting on base more, stealing bases again. The defense is still there. He's doing the thing, you know? He's a rookie. He's learning every day, little by little. Slow and steady wins the race. I know it's frustrating in the window that the Yankees are in right now to have to watch a kid develop and not just have a proven talent there already, especially amidst the last two years with all-time shortstop talent available both of the last two off seasons and yes I did my fair share of calling out the organization for that but now that they decided to stick with Volpe you know we might as well just have patience with him like I have got to give myself credit for that and I can only hope that his uptrend continues here because he's been much better Bowers you know, doesn't get a lot of hits but he gets quite a few when it matters puts the bat on the ball especially for power that's mainly where he comes in he was responsible for the only run that the Yankees scored in today's 5-1 to one loss in St. Louis. Jose Trevino continues to not even be a fraction of what he was in 2022. Yeah, he's been picking off a lot of guys on the bases recently, which is always good. But again today, he had a catcher's interference today. One of the Yankees' two errors that they made today. Second error coming from his backup catcher, Kyle Higashioka, came in as a defensive replacement later in the game. So, great job by the catchers today, guys. Thumbs up. And, especially with the bat, I mean, Trevino continues to be absolutely and utterly reverted to what he was in Texas. Maybe even worse. 
just been completely dreadful, contributing absolutely nothing offensively. And even with defense, he was a bit questionable outside of the recent pickoffs of late. And the defense has got to be there. Because even when they acquired Trevino, when he had been only ever been a black hole in Texas offensively, I was saying, you know what? I'll take the black hole offense if you're going to get elite defense. So even if the defense falls apart here, then Trevino is, like I said in the last episode, ultimately going to be virtually useless if the defense is to dissipate as well because that's really where the brunt of his talent should come in with having the bases covered, framing especially, framing pitches. And if all that's going to dissipate, well, you have to wonder what the guy's doing here then. Billy McKinney, who came in to pinch hit today for Trevino in a big offensive spot. We were talking about how unbelievable he was on last week's episode and what the Yankees would do without him because he and Bowers together were unbelievable. And Bowers still comes through every now and again, like I said before, especially in bigger spots. Again, only run driven in today was by him. Billy McKinney, on the other hand, unfortunately has regressed to the mean, it would seem. He has come back down to earth and crashed about as hard as a meteor would onto the earth's surface from space. So he is, I believe, I was looking at his stats before, and in the last week or so of at-bats, let me see, yep, he's won for his last 17. Last week, in the last week, he has really come back down to earth, unfortunately, right after how great we were talking about him last week. Well... This past week, he has come crashing back down. Higashioka, I mean, it's basically the same thing with him every week. I'm not his biggest fan. I mean, I guess he's a serviceable backup, but otherwise, he just doesn't really have much to write home about either, defensively or offensively. I mean, he'll flash some power every now and again to the plate, but otherwise, it's just Kyle Higashioka. He is what he is, you know? He has been for a while. Oswaldo's been a little bit better offensively, especially today. He had two walks. He was on base a couple of times today. But otherwise, you know, he's just trying to figure it out at the plate. His numbers are still low, mainly because of how brutally he slumped in the first couple of months of the year on the whole. But he's just there to be wherever the Yankees need him to be. He had a crucial error at first base yesterday in the afternoon game. But, I mean, he's just kind of there, you know? Hasn't really jumped out at much of anyone, but he's just, he's there. And then you have Anthony Rizzo. And we'll touch again on this briefly when we get to news in a few minutes, but he's missed two of the three games this weekend in St. Louis because he got hit in the elbow by a pitch in Oakland. So he has missed two of the three games in St. Louis. But otherwise, in the last week or so, I mean, he's kind of come back down to earth a bit. Four for his last 21, Rizzo's been. Still has not hit a home run in well over a month now, so I guess he's just decided he's never going to hit a home run ever again. That's fine, I guess. So, this last week, he's come back down to earth a bit. Before that, he was, in the last couple of weeks, you know, like two weeks ago, he was starting to put some better swings on some balls, and he was having some better results. But this past week, he's been very blah. You know, numbers came back down again a bit. 22 for his last 106. It's really bad. It's pretty bad. So Rizzo, even though he was showing some sparks of life again of late, he's he's still got some improving to do. Donaldson, <laughs> we had a whole tirade about him last week that I'm I'm pretty I'm just pretty tired of talking about him, if we're being honest. He had three hits 
this past week, and two of them are homers. One of them unimportant, the other pretty important. Massive moonshot in Oakland to put the Yankees ahead in the third and final game of the three-game set there. So I'll give him props there. It was really the first meaningful hit he's had all year, pretty much. First time he homered in a game in which the Yankees won as well. So that's fine. But otherwise, he still does nothing at the plate. It's basically home run or strikeout at this point. More striking out, obviously. And at third base, you know, he still does his thing over there. And obviously now people could say he has an earned run average after pitching an inning scoreless in the first game of the doubleheader yesterday. So now the Yankees will be able to say, oh, you know, we're keeping Josh around because, you know, he can save the bullpen arms. He's like Otani. He pitches and hits now, right? So... But other than that, you know, Donaldson's doing the same thing he always does, just not much, especially in moments that count, I should say, especially. So, the offense, again, outside of a couple of explosions, like on Wednesday when they scored 11 in the perfect game by Herman, and on Thursday when they were very quiet at the beginning part of the game but then exploded later for a total of 10 runs on Thursday. Other than that, you still had them only... Scoring one run on Tuesday, just not driving anybody in, blowing scoring opportunities in Oakland, losing 2-1 to one against a team that was 20-60 and 60 at the time, like 70,000 games under 500. Then they had the two good games after that, so you give them props for that. First game of yesterday's doubleheader because Friday got rained out. They scored only four runs when the game was long over already, so those really didn't mean much. Offense was dead. And then in the second game, they managed to score six, so that's fine, especially later on when they were attacking on insurance runs, which is always welcome. But before that ninth inning, also only put up three. Again, not taking away credit for them scoring three later in the game. It was really good for insurance, so I'll give them that. And then today, they were as dead as just about they've ever been yet again, especially if not for Jake Bowers hitting one off the wall, which I really wish ended up being a game-tying two-run homer at the time earlier today, but... Alas, it was not. Ended up being the only run they scored. So, again, really the theme of what I said before. Just inconsistency with the offense this past week. You win some, you lose some. Some days the offense blows up, which is always nice to see, especially with this offense-starved Yankee team. And then you have the days where it's a famine again. So, just a lot of inconsistency. Win some, lose some. I thought that was really the appropriate mindset for this week. And again, since they've been without Judge, if you look at where they are now, last week after last Sunday's win against Texas, they were 7-10 and without him. Now they're 10-13 and after going 3-3 three and on this latest West Coast road trip, which I would say is really not good, considering they just faced two teams that are really not good. The A's being the worst of them all. And yes, you did win the series there. Ended up being their third series win in a row, so they got back on a good track with doing that. And then you had a Cardinals team that can pack a heavy punch with certain hitters in their lineup, i.e. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, but really struggles on the pitching end. And other than scoring six runs, three of them in the ninth inning in yesterday's second game of the doubleheader, you didn't score any runs until the game was long over in the first game of the doubleheader, and then today you only score one run off of a staff who has been really known to be really struggling in a very underwhelming and disappointing season 
in the St. Louis Cardinals. So the offense kind of mostly returned to what it was for most of the series outside of the second game of the doubleheader late in the game. So on the whole, I would say a pretty disappointing road trip. It could have been worse. They could have ended up staying down in the third game against the A's instead of coming back and eventually blowing up offensively for the win. They could have stayed down and disgracefully lost a series over there and then lost this series as well. So they could have gone two and four, yeah. But considering how bad the teams were, especially the A's, in this road trip, I definitely think the Yankees should have at least gone four and two, at the very least. So I'm not that pleased with three and three. Again, the record without Judge... Still about the same as when we spoke last Sunday, being a team that is three games under 500 without him. So, still on the whole, not really passing that ultimate test that we spoke about last week. And especially to start this week, going into the end of the week, it's not going to be much easier because now for four games in the Bronx, the O's are coming to town. So, that should be interesting to see how that goes. So, that's really my intro spiel for today, if I had to say. Definitely got hit on the major thing that happened in the middle of the week, but otherwise, just hitting on all of the issues that persist with the team amidst a road trip against a couple of bad teams where there are plenty of negatives and also plenty of positives to take away from it. So... Kind of a mixed bag, if you will, this week. When it comes to the pitching on the team, though, like we did say before... Other than Luis Severino reverting to being a complete nightmare in the first game of the Cardinals series in game one of yesterday's doubleheader, the pitching on the whole has continued to do a very nice job. So that's definitely another big positive that you could take away if you wanted to because the pitching continues to do absolutely everything they can to keep this team afloat. So that's always encouraging to see, especially with another welcome addition returning later this week to hopefully reinforce that even more. And now that I think about it, I guess that is a perfect segue into Yankees news because of said news. So let's get right into Yankees news. Not really much to talk about because as far as the roster, obviously in Yankees news for each week, we mainly hit on what happened with the roster and we get some injury updates, but really the only roster move that happened this past week was... Matt Crook being the 27th man used for yesterday's doubleheader as a result of Friday night's rainout, as we know, in St. Louis, and he's obviously since been returned to AAA after the conclusion of the doubleheader yesterday. When it comes to news, everything else is basically just injury stuff, and let's start with the one that's got everyone talking, and that really worked from a nice transition from the end of my intro spiel to this new segment here. Let's start with Carlos Rodon. Obviously, Rodon has been a huge talking point throughout the entire first half so far because obviously the Yankees signed him just this past offseason and we are yet to even see him pitch in a Yankee uniform. But it seems that time is finally just around the corner as I've alluded to the last week or two. It seems like we're starting to get it, guys, because he just had his final rehab start yesterday. He gave up just one hit in three and two-thirds innings, scoreless innings at that, striking out eight guys. And in each of his rehab starts, the strikeouts are still up like they've always been when he's pitched at his best. So, and I do know it's just rehab, but he has looked pretty good. One can only hope, man, that he is at least half of what he is at his peak 
I mean, you hope that he's his complete peak, especially what the Yankees are paying him. That's what you're really paying for and hoping for to really bolster the pitching even more than it already is. But after this rehab start was made yesterday, it is now said that he is set to make his season debut and thereby his Yankees debut as well at that. This coming Friday the 7th, Aaron Boone said, when the Cubbies come to town amidst the Yankees' upcoming homestand starting tomorrow when they kick off their four-game set with the Orioles. And he's set to make his debut on Friday the 7th. It's surreal because throughout the vast majority of the first half, all we've heard is that it's beyond unsure about Rodon, especially when his back problems were revealed and the fact that they're chronic which really put a legitimate question mark next to his name, and whether or not he'd ever really truly be himself this year or just going forward, period, for the Yankees. It was really in doubt. And now, after months of seeing his return timetable just constantly pushed back and back and back and then have it say possibly July, well, it's seeming like at this point it's definitely going to be July, and it's going to be July the 7th against the Cubs. I cannot wait to see what Rodon has for the back end of this season. Hopefully he lasts all throughout the second half, and if the Yankees are to make the playoffs, you hope he's going to be a massive factor in the playoffs, because like when the Yankees got Garrett Cole, they signed Rodon for similar reasons to really lead them to the promised land. And whether or not you believe they could truly make it there and complete the job, that's why Rodon was brought here. So you hope for the best when he is to finally return this week after all this time. And I can't wait to see him pitch. I mean, if you remember, I got tickets to the second game of the season on that Saturday, April 1st. I specifically picked that game because I wanted to see Rodon in person for his first Yankee start. That obviously did not happen, ultimately. But... That just indicates to you how excited I've been to see him be in a Yankee uniform. So you can only imagine how thrilled I am and how much I can't wait for Friday. So Rodon finally returning on Friday is the official update with that. As far as other real vital injury updates, as we have rolled into July here, as I did mention before briefly, Anthony Rizzo was hit by a pitch on the elbow on Thursday in Oakland. The x-rays obviously came back negative, and as we've seen... In St. Louis, he is, in fact, day-to-day. And I may have said this incorrectly before. If I did, I apologize. But what I meant to say was Rizzo did play the doubleheader yesterday. I think I said before that he played in one of the two. But he did play in both, just one of them he DH'd in. So, but he is day-to-day still. It proved that because he wasn't in today's game, at least, here on Sunday. But he did play both games in the doubleheader yesterday. Just DH'd one of them and then was back at first for the other. But he's day-to-day. Expected to still be in there. Unfortunately, when he gets hit on the elbow, first thing I think is that I still don't think he's even right after what happened with Tatis, even though he did have a bit of a rebound with the bat in the last couple of weeks or so. But he obviously has not been the same Anthony Rizzo that we saw since that whole mess happened at first base with Fernando Tatis Jr., which sucks because before that, you know, who who knows what his numbers would be right now if he continued on without that happening because... A lot of people are mentioning already that now he's gotten snubbed for the All-Star game because the All-Star voting results have, of course, been revealed. And people are saying already, even despite his unbelievable slump, that he was snubbed. So just imagine if he didn't have what happened to him at first base with Fernando Tatis Jr. happen. 
because the track that he was on offensively was just plain remarkable, especially at his age, where he's supposed to be on the decline. And the way this season started, it really looked like it was going to be a career year for Anthony Rizzo. And it just hasn't been quite right since all that happened a few weeks ago. He hasn't hit a home run in well over a month, as we've said. also mentioned that last week. So, first thought that I had was, last thing he needs now is another body part bothering him after, you know, some people still think that since he hasn't been the same since the whole mess with Tatis Jr., that his neck has still been an issue, and now you got to worry about the elbow after being hit by the pitch there. So, but at least the x-ray was negative. He's day-to-day. I mean, you hope that he just continues to find what you think he found. He started to look a little bit better a couple of weeks ago. That's the most you could hope for when it comes to him because Anthony Rizzo is just simply too important to this team to just be awful for the rest of the year. That'll be really detrimental to the Yankees. So, The other big update throughout this week to end things in the news realm is that Nestor Cortez continues to make progress. We were talking about how he played catch last week. Well, on Friday, he threw a bullpen. So he's thrown from a bullpen mound, just a mound, period. That's very important. And he could do another one tomorrow. So as he continues to do bullpen sessions, then he'll face live hitters and then eventually find himself in some rehab games. And you hope at that point that he's back at some point not too long after the All-Star game because the All-Star break is really coming up. It's right around the corner, as a matter of fact, because after they face the Cubs, the Yankees, next weekend, that's the All-Star break, guys. So the hope is, I would imagine, is that in the next two to three weeks, Nestor could be ready. Because if he's thrown from a bullpen already, maybe he'll just have a few days of throwing alive hitters, maybe some of his fellow teammates, like Rodon was doing, and he could have himself back out there at some point as close to after the All-Star break as possible before the month of August. That's the hope. And then you'd have him and Rodon back. And Rodon is obviously right around the corner as it is. He'll just be back at the end of this week. The earliest he could be activated is towards the end of the week. And then after the All-Star break, if the rotation could be that good, have that many guys back, that's terrific. You could have Cole, Rodon, Nestor. (laughs) At one point you say Severino, but... Most of his starts have been completely and utterly brutal. But yes, Severino would still be here. And then I guess for now, with how he's managed to do, you have both Clark Schmidt and Domingo Herman, especially Herman after his perfect game. Herman has mostly been good for the Yankees. I mean, he's had his few bad starts, especially the two before the perfect game. We were talking about how he was sort of, after Severino had a nice bounce-back start, and then Herman had two bad ones. And now Herman throws a perfect game, bouncing back in pretty much the best way you could possibly humanly bounce back, and now Severino had a disastrous start after that. So they're flip-flopping Luis Severino and Domingo Herman constantly, it would seem. But, I mean, it could really be, it's really crazy when you think about it, because if you think about the rotation, real quick before we head on to weekly recap here, if you think about the state of the rotation and how everybody's been doing, if this perfect game is the start of Domingo getting back on a good track after his two previous bad starts prior to the perfect game, You have Clark Schmidt doing what he's done his last six, seven times out. He's still looked great. He's made me eat my words along with guys like IKF, as I've I've been very open about gladly. I like when the guys prove me wrong, as long as it's in a positive way. (laughs) But if you really think about the rotation, if Herman really consistently gets back on track, you could really be looking at a rotation that sees Luis Severino as the odd man out. Because Clark has done as well as he's done for the better part of the last month and a half or so. 
Domingo Herman had a couple of bad starts of late, but then he pitches a perfect game. We'll see how he continues to do going forward. Obviously, Cole, Rodon, and Nestor, if healthy, are not going anywhere. And they have Luis Severino who's doing a disastrous job in most of his starts. So Luis Severino may very well be the odd man out if necessary at some point. And if he continues to be this bad, you could at least sure as hell guarantee that you won't see him start in a playoff game if the Yankees are to make it to the playoffs as well, especially if they go deep into it. So just some food for thought there. I'm not saying that's definitely the way it'll play out. Just some food for thought as to where the state of the rotation is right now. With Rodon just around the corner and Nestor just right after the All-Star break, hopefully coming right back, you got some decisions to make potentially. Should be interesting. But that's all for Yankees news, guys. Mainly just the Matt Crook news as far as the roster. Rizzo getting that hit-by-pitch on the elbow with the X-rays thankfully coming back negative. He's just day-to-day for now. And you also have Rodon being right around the corner. Nestor's thrown from a bullpen mound. Mostly good stuff as far as the injured list. Not much news on Aaron Judge this past week. I guess everything just remains status quo. As far as him, there was one thing that some people mentioned during the perfect game celebration afterwards that Judge was just slowly walking out as part of the celebration and not really running out or even trotting out, just walking out. I don't really care about that personally. If anybody else does, then they ought to get a grip because I'd really rather Judge walk out there and be extra cautious than aggravating his injury, which has kept him out long enough to begin with, even further because of a celebration. It's just not worth it. The main priority, and I'm sure he's even aware of it, which is why he was doing this, is to get him back on that field as soon as possible. And even remotely taking a chance of further aggravating an already long-term injury with a celebration is just plain stupidity, or at least it would be. So, you know, think what you will. If you want to panic and say, oh my God, it's that bad for him already, then I guess you can, because especially because of how vague the information's been on him in his path back, but they do say that he continues to do some exercises, he had a catch, he's, he's doing some activities, so he's not completely just staying off his foot and doing absolutely nothing still as we've headed into the month of July now, and the Yankees are without him for basically exactly a month at this point, which is obviously immeasurably painful in its own right, especially to the offense. So, you just hope he continues to make some progress, I guess that's really all you could hope for. Alrighty, weekly recap time. We will go back to Tuesday because again, the Yankees had their last Monday off in that string of Mondays that they had off for multiple weeks in a row. And last Sunday after the Rangers game, obviously it was when I recorded. So everything through to Sunday was covered. So let us go back to Tuesday for the first game of the three games set in Oakland and work our way back to today in the weekly recap. Yapping Yankees time machine. Let's do it. All right, Tuesday, the first game in Oakland. By the way, before we get into weekly recap here, just what I said before when I mentioned something about the All-Star game or the All-Star break just in general, I know a lot of people are probably going to ask, well, why aren't you including All-Star discussion when the official results came out and we know who's going to be where and who was voted in and who was snubbed and whatnot? All that's going to be next week because... That's going to be a bigger topic of discussion directly as we head into the break. So I don't want to hammer any of that out today. 
Just want to focus solely on the Yankees and what they did this past week and all the stuff that happened and all the talk and whatnot and what's coming up this coming week. I figured it'd be more appropriate to do all the All-Star discussion for next Sunday since the All-Star break is immediately after next Sunday, starting right away on Monday in eight days. So I'm pushing that discussion off until next week. Just so all of you know, in case you're confused as to why, despite the official results coming out, I am not talking about any All-Star stuff. Just wait until next week for that. As far as weekly recap, we go back to Tuesday. This was the game I briefly mentioned earlier that the offense just disgracefully could not get any runs home, especially even against an A's team that was 20-60 and 60 coming into this game. An absolute disgrace, especially considering the effort that Yankee starter Johnny Brito put forth. And he would take a completely undeserved loss. He went five and two-thirds innings, allowing just four hits, two runs, walked two guys, only struck out a couple. But five and two-thirds, that's decent length, only giving up two runs, especially against a team like the A's. That is not asking for a lot of your offense, even in the slightest. In the slightest. And again, even the bullpen after him did a terrific job. Nick Ramirez finished off the sixth inning for him. Tommy Canely pitched another scoreless inning as he continues to just be an absolute masterclass since he returned from his injury. I could not be giving him enough credit since he came back, and I will continue to give him the credit he deserves because he's been that great. Wandy Peralta also pitched a scoreless inning after him, so the pitching again did its job, yet again. But the only run the Yankees were able to put up the entire night was in the top of the fifth on a Donaldson solo shot. So again, the solo shot doesn't really do much. Rest of the offense completely dead. So maybe ultimately that solo shot could have had more meaning if anybody capitalized on it. Nobody did. So it ultimately didn't really mean much. Yankees were down 2 nothing. when it happened. It was a solo shot. He did come up later in the game in other opportunities and did not come through, obviously, because that's just what Donaldson mainly has the tendency to do. So nothing happened offensively whatsoever. They did get seven hits but could not score if their lives depended on it. The Yankees took an absolutely unacceptable 2-1 to loss to start the series in Oakland. On Wednesday, well... This was the day. There's not much to say about the A's offense because they did absolutely freaking nothing amidst Domingo Herman's perfect game, not getting a single base runner in any way, shape, or form. Obviously, as we spoke about before, Herman, with an effort for the ages, literally for the history books, 24th perfect game of all time. You can't really add on much more than what's already been said by me or anybody else. It's just downright incredible and deserves to be in the history books for the rest of time, as it deservedly will be. And the Yankee offense did their job otherwise, especially in the fifth inning when they put up six runs. But overall, scoring-wise, top of the fourth, Stanton kicked off the scoring with a solo shot of his own. And this is what I really mean when Stanton had a bit of a resurgence in Oakland. It was this game and the next game, the third game of the series, where he especially did. But otherwise, again, he's mainly been quiet otherwise. In the top of the fifth, this is really when it went nuts. Kyle Higashioka, RBI double. Anthony Volpe, on a bunt, drove home Higashioka after J.P. Sears, former Yankee, who started this game, made a throwing error, so that made it 3-0, scoring another. D.J. LeMahieu, RBI single, 4-0. John Carlos Stanton, two-run single, 6-0. IKF, RBI single, 7-0. That was all just in the fifth inning alone. And in the seventh, the Yankees capitalized even more on a Donaldson sack fly. That made it 8-0. And then, in the top of the ninth, they added on even more just before Herman completed his perfect game. 
Harrison Bader on a fielder's choice. Wound up driving home Anthony Rizzo, making it 9-0. Donaldson, RBI double, made it 10-0. And IKF's RBI ground up made it 11-0 in the top of the ninth, just for Herman to then finish his perfect game. This game will forever live in the record books as it deserves to. Yankees with an incredible 11-0 win and the first perfect game for the Yankee organization in pretty much a quarter of a century, the 24th perfect game in Major League history, and the first perfect game in Major League Baseball in 11 years. Remarkable. Not enough could be said about it. I mean, I basically went on my whole spiel at the start of the show, but not enough could be said about it. Then Thursday, to end off the three-game set, things were looking a little uh, (laughs) unsure at the start of the game, but then the offense then later on in the game would kick in, thankfully, because Clark Schmidt, although he didn't have the best of efforts, it still wasn't a bad one. Five and a third, five hits, only three runs. He did walk three guys, so he did not throw too many strikes in this game, striking out only three as well, but he got by. Only three runs ultimately. Marinaccio helped him finish off that sixth inning. Ian Hamilton, a returning Ian Hamilton, good to have him back as well. Nick Ramirez and Albert Abreu would then eat up the final nine outs after that with Nick Ramirez just allowing one. But the offense again at the start, and it's good to see Schmidt finally getting some run support because one of the points we made on last week's episode, despite how good Clark had done in his prior six starts prior to last week, he was getting no run support. We mentioned that. In this start, he finally got it. Because up until the sixth inning, when again, the Yankees' offense absolutely exploded for eight runs in that one inning alone, the Yankees had only scored two runs, and they were down three to two, and it was getting towards the second half of the game, and you're thinking, oh my god, the offense is dead again. You know, they can't lose a series to Oakland. They just can't possibly, right? I mean, that's what I was telling myself. I don't know about you. But I was starting to get worried a bit. But IKF really seemed to be the only one trying to keep the Yankees within the game at the beginning as far as from an offensive standpoint. Because down one nothing, he had a solo shot to center field to tie it at 1. And then when they were down 3-1, to one, he had a sacrifice fly to inch them a little closer to 3-2 to two in the top of the 4th. But then again, starting in the 6th inning, the Yankee offense really exploded. Starting with Josh Donaldson putting them in the lead, this was the meaningful home run I mentioned before that he has hit since his return. And... I guess it motivated the Yankee offense enough to completely go nuts overall afterwards. Donaldson, two-run shot, put them ahead 4-3. to three. Glaber, two-run single, made it 6-3. Giancarlo, two-run double, put them ahead 8-3. So Giancarlo continued that nice two-game stretch I mentioned before. Harrison Bader, RBI single, made it 9-3. IKF again. Uh, he's, he's been a lot of fun. RBI single, 10-3. And the A's just added on one more in the bottom of the eight to make it 10-4, to four, which, of course, would be the final. Yankees, thankfully, ultimately, do end up taking the series. If they could only just drive in another couple of runs in that disgraceful Tuesday game, they really could have and should have swept the series. But they won two out of three. Whatever. The Oakland uh, Coliseum out there has always been a house of horrors for them. But thankfully, still the offense was able to at least wake up a bit in the second and third games, scoring a total of 11 and then 10, so 21 runs in two games. Not too shabby there. Friday, of course, was supposed to be the first game of the three games set in St. Louis, but the game was rained out. 
So you go on to Saturday, they played a day-night doubleheader. And the first game of the doubleheader was just really ugly. And this is what I mentioned before when I was talking about Severino taking yet another huge step back. Not just a regular step back, a colossal step back. Luis Severino went on the mound. He allowed nine runs. Seven of them earned. But nine runs in just four innings. Walking three, striking out two, gave up two home runs. And when he started to really bomb... You just saw the velocity again just go down and down and down. He was throwing just 93 at one point. You just got to wonder what the hell is going on with this guy. When he's on, and even at the beginning of this start, which makes it even more bizarre, he was doing this again. He, he can throw in the upper 90s still, even touch 100 again. But then when, I don't know if it's a confidence thing or what it is, but you see the either the fatigue start to set in or just when he starts to struggle, maybe he's not as motivated or whatever the reason is. I mean... You just really see the ugliness start to come out, especially when the velo drops. Like, the fastball velocity really drops. He just doesn't throw nearly enough strikes. He's just not with it. Something is so off about him. I mean, the start before this being a nice bounce back was really encouraging. But again, he just comes right back out in this start on the road. And again, it seems like a lot of it's on the road as well. He just completely crapped the bed again. Strikeouts down, walks up. Velo down. I mean, just just overall mindset, just not there, it seems like. It's just absolutely bizarre. It really is. And yes, those couple of errors, like I said, Oswaldo made his big error down at third. That didn't help anything. And then you had a pass ball by Kyle Higashioka. Matt Crook also threw a wild pitch. So that was on that bottom of the fifth. It was a very ugly inning. But ultimately, the main center of discussion around this disastrous game, other than the Yankee offense not doing absolutely anything until later in the game when they were already down big 11 to nothing, And those runs were just an RBI single by Oswaldo Cabrera. And then in the top of the ninth, one run came home off a of DJ hitting into a double play. And then Jake Bowers hitting a two-run shot, driving home Oswaldo after that. And that was the final score, 11-4. to But the main topic of discussion was how much of a train wreck yet again Luis Severino is. 1-3 and three on the year now, ERA up to 630. I mean, guys, he's allowed 28 runs in 40 innings. It's not going to get it done. In 40 innings, he's allowed 10 home runs. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Batting average against 289. He's had his couple of really good starts, yeah, but the vast majority of the starts have been an utter crap show. I mean, in every single way, and this being yet another one, this is what I was saying before, you don't know what's going to happen going forward, and the Yankees might have some decisions to make if if it does lead down this route, but if they have to pick an odd man out, like who least deserves to be in this rotation, if Clark Schmidt and Domingo Herman continue to be mostly efficient, and if Luis Severino continues to just absolutely decline, you might have to take him out of the rotation. He might have to be the odd man out. It's crazy to think about, but if this continues, what choice do they have? It's got to be really alarming with Luis Severino. He better turn it around and turn it around soon because he has been anything but pleasant to watch, to put it very mildly. It is nothing short of an absolute train wreck. For the most part, since he has returned from injury, he has got to figure it out. Absolutely horrible. Just horrible. So he's really been the only 
he's really been the only hindrance to the pitching being near damn flawless for weeks now. Because otherwise, for the most part, mostly everybody else has done a very nice job. Obviously, everybody has their rough days, but it's almost every start with him. It's completely different when it comes to him. So you move on from that train wreck in which even Donaldson at the end, like I said before, got to pitch a scoreless inning in the eighth inning to try to preserve the bullpen at least a little bit after Severino didn't do anybody any favors. So now you got Donaldson proving that he can play somewhere else on the pitcher's mound. (laughs) Whatever. So, I mean, it was funny to watch. I don't care even if even if the guy doesn't deserve to be on the team, in my humble opinion. It's still funny to watch him get a get a pitching outing. You really wish the team, of course, wasn't in that circumstance to begin with. But if it's to happen, still funny to watch. Usually IKF is their guy. I expected him to get another look, but it ended up being Donaldson this time. So there you go. Wash out that disaster and you play the nightcap. Now coming into this, I did say yesterday, I'm not sure if I tweeted it, but if I didn't, I definitely said it to either my girlfriend or... Maybe my brother. I don't really remember. But I did say that I thought the Yankees were going to split this. I didn't think they were going to get swept in this doubleheader, and I didn't think they were going to be doing any sweeping themselves. I did think it was going to be a split. So I really expected this nightcap to be a victory, and I'm glad it was. I did have expectations for it, even though the Yankees bullpened it, which doesn't have anybody feeling too confident, even though the bullpen has been as great as, as it's been, no doubt about that. That's not why... I was a little iffy or say that that's a reason to not be confident. It's a reason to be confident. It's just that with bullpen games, you know, you're kind of piecing it together as you go. It could be a little bit nerve-wracking when you really think about it fully beforehand. You're like, oh my God, if this happens, what do we do? If this happens, in which direction do we go in with that? It's just nerve-wracking sometimes. But the Yankee bullpen, shocker, did a fantastic job. Ian Hamilton was the opener. He got banged around a little bit in the first inning, but still only kept it to one run. Ron Marinaccio, after that, gave everybody a heart attack like he has the tendency to do a lot of the time this year, it seems like. An inning and two-thirds, three hits, one run, just like Ian Hamilton, but he did walk two guys as well, got a couple of strikeouts too. So he made it through okay. King had to bail him out of some trouble, get him out of that third inning, and then King would massively eat some innings afterwards, which, you know, in these bullpen games, you really rely on one guy ultimately to eat a lot of innings and get a lot of the outs. King was really the bulk guy with this. Three and a third, ultimately only allowing one hit, no runs, not even a walk, and two strikeouts. So Michael King, like we said last week, seems to be getting back on track and really, really mostly saved this bullpen yesterday in the nightcap. It was awesome to see how he did. And then Wandy Peralta, Tommy Canely, again, who still doesn't have any RA, and Clay Holmes after that as well, all locked it up and held it down. Canely again, by the way, I just want to give him even more credit than I already have. He's now up to 11 and two-thirds innings, having not allowed a single run. Striking out 13, the whip is at .51. It's, it's really something, what he has done since he's gotten back from injury. So the bullpen, doing their thing, like I said, only allowing two runs, one of them being in the bottom of the first off Ian Hamilton on that Lars Newtbar leadoff homer. And then on an RBI double by Jordan Walker in the bottom of the third, off Ron Marinaccio. Otherwise, lockdown as expected from them. As far as the offense, like I said, it was mainly at the end of the game where they did their thing. They were a bit quiet early on, but they did manage to at least maintain the lead throughout the vast majority of the game. So that's good, even though they didn't score a lot of runs, as long as you have the lead. 
Harrison Bader in the top of the first opened things up. He got a nice reception from the Cardinal crowd, by the way, obviously, because that's where he came from, from St. Louis in the Jordan Montgomery trade. So Bader, after getting a nice reception, yet again hit a sacrifice fly to drive in the first run, being DJ LeMahieu in the top of the first, made it one nothing. Then Lars Nupar hit his home run to tie it at one again. And Anthony Volpe, who we mentioned, has really been back of late. Hit an RBI triple, driving Isaiah Connor for left for home, making it 2-1. to one. And then DJ with a sack fly after that, making it 3-1. to one. Jordan Walker would get his RBI double in the bottom of the third after that. And then nothing would happen. It would stay 3-2 to two from the third inning all the way to the ninth when the Yankees thankfully added some insurance. With Jose Trevino hitting a sack bunt, driving home IKF after the Cardinals challenged it. It turns out that the safe call was upheld, so it made it 4-2 to two Yankees. Then Glaber drove home two more on a two-run double himself, made it 6-2, and of course, that would be the final there. Yankees split the doubleheader as I had expected. Nice late-game effort by the offense as well. In an otherwise low-scoring game prior to that, prior to the ninth inning, they get the 6-2 victory, and the series would be decided with the rubber game matchup for today. And as I just got done mentioning before, the offense pulling another disappearing act today with the exception of Jake Bauer's RBI double in the top of the seventh that I wish was a game-tying two-run shot at the time, but unfortunately was not. Garrett Cole taking an undeserved loss today, making him 8-2 and two on the year as his wins have continued to mostly continue to be plateaued since his dominant April. But still 8-2 is a very nice record heading into the second half of the year. Six innings, six hits for him, two runs, two walks, five strikeouts. Not his absolute best, but far from his worst as well. I mean, I would say his last time out, like we mentioned, was probably his worst. Only going four and two-thirds, which was a season low. You're usually almost always guaranteed to get at least six or so innings out of Cole like you did today, so that was surprising at the time, but he rebounded a bit today despite it looking like it was smoldering weather in St. Louis, not just today, but the last couple of days as well, with obviously all the rain that came through the area as well, obviously, with them having to go into like a huge rain delay in the first game of yesterday's doubleheader, and then the rain returning later on in the game, being rained out on Friday, so... Really, a lot of rain there, it seems like, and a lot, of, a lot of heat there and a lot of humidity otherwise. But Cole fought through it, still managed to give a six-inning, two-run performance. So that was good on him. Jake Bowers got the Yankees on the board with his RBI double. But then Jimmy Cordero came in to pitch the final two innings, and he just completely made a mess of things. Allowed three runs, mainly the big two-run bomb to Donovan. That was really the big backbreaker when it comes to what really seemed to decide the game. And, of course, in the bottom of the eighth, the Cardinals added on one more on the throwing error by Kyle Higashioka down the third base line. So that didn't help anything as well. But it really would have been nice for Jimmy Cordero to keep the Cardinals off the board in that bottom of the seventh right after the Yankees finally got a run up on the board so the Yankees would stay within a run and have a chance at the struggling Cardinals bullpen pitching. But it was not to be because Jimmy Cordero thinks it wise to fall behind the vast majority of hitters he faces and try to just battle out of it. But it didn't work this time. Donovan took him deep in the 7th, and then in the 8th, amidst a lot more trouble, another run came home thanks to a throwing error by Higashioka. So that didn't prove to really help much of anything. So Cordero being his own worst enemy a lot of the time. 
I don't mostly have an issue with Cordero, but he does seem to have a strike-throwing issue quite a bit of the time, can be a little wild, seems to be falling behind guys a lot of the time. That I have an issue with. Because if you're facing even a half-decent lineup, if you're giving them a lot of walks or you're putting them in a lot of comfortable hitting counts, you're going to get bitten in the ass eventually. And that's exactly what happened to him today. And that'll continue to happen against good hitting teams if he doesn't fix it up. So Cordero does have a bit of work to do. But otherwise, you know, other than him, he was the only one who didn't pitch in the entire doubleheader yesterday in either of the games. So fortunately, literally everybody else, since he ate up the last two innings, even though he didn't do a good job at it, fortunately, everybody else got to get a day of rest after yesterday's doubleheader, especially after the nightcap being a bullpen game. But... Today's game with the offense pulling a disappearing act, I primarily blame them, of course, and not a good job by Cordero keeping the game within a run again. But primarily on the offense, pulling a disappearing act, the Yankees lose a series again after they had just won three series in a row, being the Mariners, the Rangers, and then having just won the A's series this past week. Now they lose a series against the Cardinals, and it also stinks because if you're paying attention to the standings, you look around as well. You could have gained a game on the Blue Jays because the Red Sox managed to beat them today. You could have stayed with the Orioles since they won today, but now you lose a game on the Orioles because they beat the Twins 2-1. to one. And you also could have gained a game, even though they're, I don't see the Yankees catching them at any point, on the Rays as well because they lost 7-6 to six to the Mariners today. But they blew that chance. So they lose the series in St. Louis. Going forward for the final week before the All-Star break, what is ahead, you might ask? The Yankees welcome the Orioles to town tomorrow night at 7.05 Eastern, Monday the 3rd. Domingo Herman will take the mound again for the first time since his perfect game. We'll see what he's got against the O's. That game is at 7.05 Eastern in the Bronx again. Tuesday will be a 105 game for the 4th of July. Clark Schmidt will be throwing that game against Kyle Gibson. Again, 105 for the 4th of July. Not a night game. It's at 105 Eastern at the stadium for the 4th of July. Wednesday the 5th will be back to a 7.05 start. That night is still to be determined as far as the Yankees pitcher. That's what had some people thinking maybe Rodon could be that guy on the 5th, but cannot happen. So it's still TBD. We'll see what they do, whether it be another Brito starter. Then maybe they'll call up Randy Vasquez again to make another starter. Maybe another bullpen game. Who the hell knows? I don't really recommend that since they just did that yesterday. But we'll see what they do as far as Wednesday for a pitching matchup. It's the only game that we're not sure about yet. It's TBD. And then to finish the four-game set on Thursday the 6th, it'll be another 7.05 Eastern game at Yankee Stadium, Yankees and Orioles. Luis Severino will be retaking the mound again. We'll see what he's got against Baltimore. His prey can bounce back again in any sort of a way after the travesty that just took place yet again in St. Louis. That's all you could hope for for him. Then Friday for the final series, next weekend before the All-Star break, the Yankees welcome the Cubbies into town. And that is when Rodon should be returning. He'll be on the mound for the Yankees, or at least he should be on Friday night, Yankees and Cubs. Friday the 7th. Saturday the 8th, Yankees and Cubs again, of course, in the Bronx, still a 105 start. And then next Sunday the 9th, when we speak again to end the three-game set and to end the pre-All-Star break half of the 2023 season, a 135 Eastern game will be played in the Bronx between the Yankees and the Cubs again. And of course, after that is the All-Star break. Monday should be the Home Run Derby. Tuesday the 11th is the All-Star game. Wednesday and Thursday off for the Yankees, and then they'll be back on Friday against the Rockies in Colorado. 
so on and so forth. We'll take it after that once we're done with the All-Star break. But that is what's ahead for this coming week, my friends, the week of the 4th of July, which, of course, I hope you all have a happy and safe 4th of July as well. Oh, I hear fireworks out there. <laughs> it's getting a little later, and obviously 4th of July is in a couple of days, so people are already getting ahead with the fireworks. All right. Hope you guys don't catch that on the mic. That'd be annoying. <laughs> They're in the distance. I think we're good. But let's finish up with the social media segment. Obviously, I alluded to before that Anthony Volpe may or may not have to do with the social media segment for today's Yapping Yankees episode. Well, I'll reveal it now. He has entirely to do with it. Shocker. <laughs> Got another open-ended question for you this week. And quite simply put, it is, how are you feeling about Volpe at this point in time? After his improvements to his batting stance, did you maintain confidence in him throughout his struggles, and do you feel it's uphill for him from here? Well, I've basically, as far as my point of view, I've emphasized patience in him, so I'm very glad to see that finally starting to pay off here these last few weeks. We were talking about last week how we started to see some improvements, but how that really needed to continue going forward because July was upon us and some time has gone by now. But I still emphasized constantly week after week, including as recently as last week, that my confidence in him was still not gone. It was going to take an awful lot for that to fade. I'm glad it's paying off right now. So I can confidently say that my belief in him never faded, and I'm glad to stand by that. I'm glad to be able to say that at this point, with his resurgence and his changes to his batting stance after he decided to sit down with his former minor league teammate Austin Wells and talk over a chicken parmesan like a true Italian, about what his issue could possibly be in chopping it up and talking some baseball since he made some improvements that he has factually and statistically been far better since, especially as of this past week even more so. Very glad to see that. Not surprised by it. He's a rookie. He's learning. And I do feel it's uphill from here. Obviously, eventually, as he continues to play, the league will probably readjust again to him, and he's going to have to keep on hitting back with that. Continue to readjust himself. It's going to be tough since he's so young, but it's going to be what he has to do, and I believe he can do it. So I'm feeling really good about his improvements personally, and I still think it's funny how he unlocked these things with his former minor league teammate and not anybody on the professional team's hitting staff, but that's besides the point. We have spoken about that at length, so <laughs> let us not beat a dead horse. But anyways, I'm feeling really good about it, and I'm glad that my confidence and my belief in him never faltered because it's looking pretty good right now. But let's hear some of your thoughts, what you guys think about Volpe. I know a lot of people out there are saying that they were starting to think that a AAA stint might do him some good to just hit the reset button sort of, I guess. But let's see if some of those people may come out of the woodwork and say that they are now feeling differently. Let's hear what's on everybody's minds. First up, let's start with at MikeF3825 saying, kept reminding myself of Jeter's first year. Never lost faith. It's a good point. Not everybody starts out as a legend. Right from Jump Street. Just doesn't happen too often at all. At RJ Piscotti 59 says, I think it was more just relaxing with Wells over dinner. I see a minimal difference in his stance, but he raked during preseason. And talking about his past success never hurts. Whatever it took, most clubs would have sent him down and promoted Peraza. Well, when it comes to Peraza, I was more so thinking, like, if you were to DFA Donaldson, then I think that would be a good opportunity to give Peraza a go. Maybe somewhere else in the infield, even other than just shortstop. Or maybe you could even try out Volpe somewhere else in the infield if you want. But 
The Yankees have definitively stood by their statement that he is the shortstop. So even if you were to bring Peraza up, then it'd probably be Peraza trying another position, which I'm fine with. But I was thinking about Peraza more so when it came to getting rid of Donaldson. So I wouldn't really want to do one for the other. I'd, I'd like to have them both on the team. That's just me personally. But when it comes to spring training, you got to also remember that a lot of the time in spring training, you're facing a lot lesser talent. Like, a lot of the time you are facing fellow minor leaguers, especially if it's, like, later in the game, or sometimes you're facing bullpen pieces or whatever it may be. And the elite talent that you do face, the regular elite major league talent, if they happen to have a start or a bullpen appearance that particular day, you got to remember those guys in spring training are also usually either not given full effort or just working on other stuff or maybe a little bit of both. So that factors in, too. So that's why you can't really stand by preseason or spring training, rather, numbers. It's kind of tough to really provide as evidence, especially when comparing to the regular season or even like the postseason if you were to do that. But, so I don't really bring that up, but yeah, it could have been just over dinner, but listen, sometimes it's all it takes. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, pre and post chicken parm. I love doing that too, but you know, sometimes all it takes is just reuniting with an old pal that you used to play with, having a conversation about where things are now in comparison to where things used to be, and what could result in bringing back what used to be in a way and figuring it out, putting it together again. So maybe it could have just been something like dinner. Who knows? At NYYSportsFan96, saying Volpe has been hot since June 13th. Yeah, I think I mentioned it before that since June 13th, coming into today's game, he was batting like 373. He's really looking good. So yeah, June 13th really seems to be the date. Beginning mid-June, he started to turn things around and it really took an even bigger step forward this past week for sure. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life says, Hi Mike, at no point this season has my confidence in Volpe wavered. I think he will continue to make the necessary adjustments and will be a star in this game for a long time. Yankees should lock him up now. At a girl, Rebecca, fellow believer. I love it. Hope to see a lot of you in their replies. At BXBMBRS45 says, Mike, I sure did remain faithful. I knew it since before spring training. Everybody else is going to hop on the bandwagon now. We haven't even scratched the surface of the Volpe era. He will be the captain one day. Number 11 will be retired. Wow. Epic response. <laughs> He's going to have to wait for Judge to go. you going to have to at least wait for that. But if Judge is around another 10 years or so, then Volpe will still only be like 31 or 32. So who knows? Maybe at that point. He could be, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's a long ways off. Let's enjoy Judge's captaincy for now. But captaincy, is that a word? I don't even know. But anyways, yeah, listen, some people thought it would be good for a reset. And when it comes to his hitting, it's not completely ridiculous. But I think Flash said this on the post game or the pre- I can't remember. It was pregame or postgame today. And I agreed with him a lot. Like, yeah, with the hitting, like it's understood, even though... I didn't really want to see him sent back down because I also think that would have been a bad message sent by the Yankees who really made it clear heading into the season that they were going to allow Volpe to finish his development in the big leagues. And then, yes, granted he was struggling a great deal. If you send him down, that could it could have worked as a good reset or it could have messed him up mentally. It could have done anything. We don't know. That reality has not played out to this point, so none of us can say for sure. But nonetheless... I did not want him to get sent down because I thought that would have been a bad look on the Yankees and it could have messed up Volpe because they did want him to finish the development here. They were clear about that. Uh, But a lot of other people did want him sent down because they say that it could have helped his hitting. 
But I was really looking at the fact that, yeah, whenever he did steal, he was still effective at that, effective on the base paths, and his defense was still there. That's what what Flash primarily mentioned. The fact that his defense was still present. And if that even started to take a hit, then maybe it would have given more credence to people wanting him to be sent down at that point, especially because even if his defense is going, and he's made his mistakes every now and again, naturally, especially on in that series in Toronto on the turf. But otherwise, his defense has mainly still been solid. And I was just willing to believe that his offense was going to turn around. And I love that since he sat down with Austin Wells, it's done so. It's been really good. All right, let's keep going. Let's get through as many as possible. I do not want to go up to two hours again today. <laughs> I've done that to you guys enough lately. So let's get through as many as possible. At J underscore Torres, Messiah E says, Of course it's uphill from here. He'll have his slumps for sure, but he'll be an elite player and I hope a lifetime Yankee. Yeah, slumps will happen. It's part of the game for sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I think he'll be a really solid player going forward and lifetime Yankee as a result would be very nice. At MDL, 1981 says, Yeah, I still believe most young guys struggle early. Card sent down Walker after a slow start, and he's been good since calling back up. Yeah, that's true. And we got to see a bit of that this weekend. Jordan Walker, you know, he drove in some runs this weekend as well, so that's a good point. For some guys, doing that works, but we don't know what that would have done to Volpe. We're not sure. At YankeesFan underscore 64 says, On day one, I saw an all-star. Still do. There you go, Penny. Nice work. At Big Mike 2702 says, I think he's doing great for his rookie season, also being that he skipped a whole grade of lower A ball. He shouldn't be the one to carry the entire team. We need the big guys to step up now. Yeah, I mean, he did miss all of 2020, like basically all minor leaguers did, and only 22 games in AAA, so yeah, he, he really did not get much experience at all in AAA, so he did skip some levels, mainly thanks to 2020, and then also he really didn't have much time in AAA at all, so he has skipped some stuff, so especially considering that, it makes it even more impressive, I completely agree, and yeah, although you hope that he helps out with the offensive struggles right now, it's it should mainly be on the big guys, you're right. DJ, Glaber, Stanton, Rizzo, all these guys, the expected leaders in Judge's absence are the ones who really should be taking the brunt of this as they really have amidst their struggles. I've called them out. Every single person has called them out despite how we feel about them personally, how much we happen to love them. And I do love guys like Stanton, Rizzo, DJ. I love all these guys, but they all got to be called out for their lack of performance for the most part overall since Judge has been out. These are the guys who have to take the brunt of it. These are the guys who need to help lessen the lethal blow that comes with missing Aaron Judge. So you're absolutely right. I totally agree with that last sentence of yours. Next, we got at Frank Florida 7 saying he's lost, clueless, and should be sent down. Tweets seem to have faded away. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Those are a lot of the tweets we have been seeing. Lost, clueless, he's a dud, they put too much faith in him, a lot of those things. You know, you could believe that he could use a reset in AAA or something or believe that he should have a few days off maybe to reset his head or whatever the case may be. But yeah, there were some people actually legitimately just, just completely after him and insulting him. And that's that crap is uncalled for, guys. He's a kid. He's finding his way in his first few months as a major league baseball player. So the personal attacks aren't necessary. It just it isn't. But you're absolutely right, Frank. Next, we've got at Kenji Kofi says, Rookie struggle. I like Volpe's work ethic. Even now, he's capable of timely hits. He will develop as a hitter. I agree. Totally agree. 
at Jeff Kagan one says, maybe Austin Wells should have a double role as a hitting coach. Volpe totally different at the plate right now. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> It'd be funny. At Kyle underscore Honeyset says, just let IKF and Volpe hit back to back. It's an interesting idea. Maybe towards the bottom of the lineup. That'd be good. I agree with that. Or maybe if you're to boost Volpe up a little bit. I mean, I think today they hit back-to-back, no? I'm, I'm not really remembering 100%. Let me check today's lineup again. I think I think they hit back-to-back in today's game. Let me see. Yeah, they did. IKF batted 5th and Volpe batted 6th. Yeah, I thought they did. So I guess they listened to you today. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Let's see if they continue it going forward. At Sean9966... 0764 says, yes, I did, Mike. It was only time for him to get out of his slump. Sending him down would have destroyed his confidence. Well, we don't know what it would have done, but, I mean, it could have. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, people like you and I stuck with him. We did. At BillyBats99 said, thought he needed to go back and work on his swing. He looked overmatched and was trying to hit home runs all the time. Thankfully, I was wrong, and he looks much better. Hey, listen, that's all good. Like I said, to think that, because yes, even I was talking about how at times he really flailed in really ugly fashion at the plate, and he was swinging at balls, taking strikes, the hip was still flying open, his walks were down, his strikeouts were up. It was ugly. I get it. And it should be called out. Granted, he's still learning. But, you know, that's fine to think that he could just use a bit of a reset in any way. And I really admire you admitting that your take, at least as of now, ultimately you could still be proven correct, but at least as of now it seems to be incorrect. Not a lot of people have that ability. As someone who can also gladly admit whenever they're wrong, I've even done that today with guys like IKF and Clark Schmidt. I mentioned that. They're making me eat my words as of now. But nonetheless, having people around like you, like myself, who could actually gladly admit when they're wrong is refreshing. So that's really cool of you to do that. But at least you're taking it from a more sensible point of view and not insulting the kid or being just plain vulgar towards him, you said maybe you could use a reset. That's fine. I didn't happen to do or say the same thing, but it's better than insulting him because it was ugly at times. Here and there, it was ugly. At Keith RI 2022 says, I think it'll be difficult for him to maintain his current pace, but obviously something got him going. Was it the change to his stance? Was it the confidence the Yankees expressed in him recently? Was it playing nearly every inning of every game? I'm loving it. <laughs> I mean, it could be a bit of all, honestly. Regardless, though, yeah, we do love to see it. Things you love to see, that. <laughs> all right, up next, we have got at RealMikeyD50 says, always thought he would eventually figure it out. Since June 13th, he's batting 380. Yeah, between 370 and 380, it's absolutely wild. At Brian CPT says, there will always be periods of adjustments back and forth. And I did say that before, you're right. Always slumps and hot streaks. What you want is for the slumps to not be as severe, and that comes with experience. The more he gets acclimated to the stuff pitchers have at the MLB level, the more consistent he'll be. You're absolutely right, Brian. 100%. Especially at the beginning, I did mention that... You know, the league eventually will adjust as well with his adjustments, then he'll have to do it again. It's back and forth. I even mentioned that before. You're 100% correct. Love that. At Baseball, Tzar says, the league will adjust again. And it's on Volpe to adjust again after that. That's exactly what Brian was saying. 
At Laura underscore Icemont says, I'm still rooting for him just like I did at the beginning of the season. Every player goes through their ups and downs. Yeah, especially rookies. Completely. At Sean Chalinski says, he will have lots of peaks and valleys this season. You can just see it. But currently, I would bat him either first or second. Well, earlier on, they did experiment with him in the leadoff spot, so you'd go back to doing that. Okay. Fair enough. I don't think it could hurt. I definitely think since DJ is mostly... Stayed pretty freaking stagnant. I don't I don't think it could hurt. I'd try Volpe out in the leadoff spot again, maybe. Up next is Spencer at Musician DMD. Spencer says, I've never lost confidence in Volpe. His recent success is encouraging, and he's shown lots of poise and maturity amidst his struggles. Volpe just needs time. Not every rookie busts out like a Ken Griffey Jr. or Dwight Gooden. For most, it's a prolonged process. I think it's hard for many Yankee fans to accept the time it takes for a 21-year-old to make it in the majors. It includes more growing pains than they're willing to absorb. But Volpe's handled it well. In a couple of years, he'll be an all-star. Patience is the word. Spencer, I could not support a tweet more than yours. (laughs) That is 100% correct. People forget his age sometimes, and they forget the word patience. Patience is tough, especially considering the window the Yankees are in right now. I totally get that. But especially with a kid like him, you still got to be patient. And that's why my patience, even though it was going down, 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 the more it happened, it was still going to be damn near impossible to make it completely go away. My patience never completely vanished for him. I'm very happy to be able to say that. At Traffic VTL says... His ability to accept failure and to respond with a great attitude and to get better day by day is impressive, but we have a long way to go. Plenty fair enough, man, and yeah, I completely agree. Accepting failure, responding with a great attitude, really displaying mental fortitude, that that's something that veterans display. It's sometimes hard to remember that with the way he addresses the media and the way that he addresses how he feels and just how he carries himself, like we've all said, I think Spencer just said in the last reply, with the poise and maturity, you would think that it's coming from a veteran, and that might be what makes it easy to forget for some people that he's still just 21, 22 years old. And that's a lot of credit to him. It really is. At Chris Palacio 74 says, Who needs to go see Wells next? Send most of the roster. Send most of the lineup. (laughs) I love how Austin Wells has become this big, even a bigger thing than he already is with how great he's doing in the minors. But even just with the advice that he gave to Volpe to turn things around now, everybody's doing the post-Austin Wells and post-Chicken Parm Volpe era. It's funny. Send the whole damn lineup for some Austin Wells and Chicken Parm. Make an appointment. At Diane Lopez 8 says, I said from the day he came up, give him time. I really haven't lost faith in him, and considering the way the rest of the team seems lost, he can, and I believe will, make a difference to this team. I stand the hell by this tweet too. I really do. Not losing faith, and yeah, the rest of the team being as lost as they are. With it continuing most days, because of the inconsistencies lately, Volpe all throughout, is, uh, especially in the last week or two, is... Made his presence known and done all he can. At Larry Sexton 3 says, Lots of young players struggle at first. They absolutely do. At MCard55 says, I never had a doubt. You need to stick with the plan. I'm glad he went on his own and made adjustments. Boone is still using him incorrectly in the lineup. One day the Yankees will hire a decent hitting coach. 
Well, yeah, I'm no Dylan Lawson fan, but these are philosophies, as we've said, that go straight to the top. So it doesn't end there. We even mentioned that last week when talking about how, you know, the entire organization is at large and what would truly need to happen for true change to, to take place. But that's that's another show. So, yeah, it's good. Seeing people, some people out here that never had a doubt. It's good to see you guys come out of the woodwork. And it's even good to see some people coming out of the woodwork who admittedly thought that he could use some time in AAA and admitting that, you know, maybe now it's been smart not to do that. It's admirable to be able to admit that a take of yours may have been wrong. It takes a lot of maturity to do that, especially in this day and age where nobody owns up to their crap anymore. Nobody. Or almost nobody. But yeah, sticking with the plan, I mean, as we've spoken about with the Yankees at large, some scenarios require deviation from certain plans, and that's fine. But with this, yeah, it felt like this was something that they had to stick with, for sure. I agree. Let's see. A couple more. At Yank33Clip3R says, Wasn't really an improvement, just a small change. Nothing changed about his swing, really. Was more mental than anything. Seems like he's on the right track now. Keep moving forward. Well, he did say that he and Wells really picked apart his stance and everything. They did say there was a change. That he reverted back to something that he was doing before when he was successful. So, that's coming from Volpe. So, so given the statements he made, I really do think that there was an improvement. But, sure, part of it could have definitely been mental. I have no doubt about that. So much of baseball is mental. But regardless, yeah, he's on the right track. Keep going forward. That's the key. All right, let's do our usual final two. First up, my girlfriend Vic at Vic Salimo says, You know, I've always kept my faith and have been patient. I think he needed time to figure out what works for him and how to assimilate. Sometimes struggles can make you stronger, and I believe that the turnaround we're seeing is only the beginning for him. I'm Team Volpe. If that's not support, I don't know what is. And yes, that's completely true about struggles and failure, building character, and making you learn from your mistakes and coming out better afterwards. That's what it's about. That's what life's about, not just baseball. So, totally agree, babe. All right, last but certainly not least, as always, is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, says, Hi, Mikey, loved your last podcast. Thank you, Mom. Got out all of our frustrations. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I did. To answer your question, to be honest, I was also on the send Volpe down train to help him revamp this time last week, give or take. But after his performance this week, I changed my mind. I love this kid. But without judge, we also have to remember that we cannot afford to have bats making no impact whatsoever or rarely. As long as he hits, I want him with the team. Let's hope this hopeful young man keeps plowing ahead, advancing his team while making his dreams succeed. Amen. Yeah, another person who could admit their take from last week. It's all good. And yeah, Mom, you're absolutely right about the hitting. Everybody has to be accountable for that, but especially the big guys. That's primarily where it falls, more so than anything. The DJs, the Stantons, the Rizzos, the Glabers, they gotta come through. The vets have to do their thing. And occasionally, when your unexpected additions, like Jake Bowers, for instance, comes through, then that's awesome. You know, that's part of the puzzle, too. But it mainly falls on the big guys who should be helping to fill the void of Judge's absence. And for the most part, they've continued to not do that. That's the point. But if Volpe could help out too and continue to make an impact, it makes it all that much better, doesn't it? 
With that being said, guys, I would like to thank you all so much, as always, for interacting with the social media segment. You guys always do such a great job with it every week. I get so many replies, whether it be an open-ended question, a poll, a Q&A, it does not matter. I get so many replies. You guys are so smart. I love interacting with all you guys. Got a good, loyal listenership here on Yapping Yankees, and I'm very grateful to have you guys know that I love each and every one of you. I'm very sorry for those who I don't get to at times. There's just a lot of replies and only so much time. So if I don't get to, just keep on chipping away every week. Just keep on leaving replies, and I'll get to you eventually. I have to at some point, no? But just keep on showing your love. Keep on interacting. You guys are absolutely the best. And this is another good discussion having to do with Volpe. As we head into the second half and these last few weeks, he has vastly improved since his chicken parm date. Uh, With that being said, though, guys, that is all for episode 187 of Yapping Yankees today here on July the 2nd. Remember to follow me on all socials if you don't already. My Facebook fan page is Mike Scudero NY. My Twitter is at Mike Scudero, despite how buggy Elon Musk has made Twitter lately. It's still there, at Mike Scudero. My Instagram is MikeScuds97. Definitely be sure to follow me on Facebook and Insta in case Twitter has any other weird crap happening with it in the in the immediate future and we need to go somewhere else for the time being. But those are my social medias as usual. Subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four platforms it's available on. That's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud as it's been forever now. Leave a like everywhere and show your love like you always do such a great job at doing, my friends. And if you have the time, if you've missed any of the past Yapping Yankees episodes, you could listen to episodes 34 all the way up to today's episode all on YouTube and every single Yapping Yankees episode for these last four years going all the way back to episode one all the way up to 187 today. Well, those are all available on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Once again, though, I thank you all 3,000 for listening to me yap today, as always, my friends. I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, July 9th, when I come at you with episode 188 of Yapping Yankees. But until then, guys, you know the deal, especially with this offense. Hang in there and be patient, (laughs) but also stay safe. Look out for your loved ones. Go ahead and kick life's ass this week, as always. And let's just hope for the best with the Yankees, as we always do this upcoming week. Let's hope the offense figures out their inconsistent crap. Let's hope for the best of Yankee debuts for Carlos Rodon on Friday. All the best of injury news for anybody else still on the injured list. A well-played final week before the All-Star break. Gain some ground on those O's in this upcoming four-game set at the stadium starting tomorrow. And last but certainly not least, outside of Yankee land, once more, I do hope that you all have a very happy and safe 4th of July in a couple of days. I know I'm going to enjoy the day off, and I hope you all do as well, along with hopefully seeing a Yankee victory that afternoon. Let's finish pre-All-Star break baseball strong, baby! And until then, I'll talk to you next Sunday, my friends. Take care, and let's go Yanks! (laughs) 